Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Take it away, Evan. It is the 75th <laughs> of, of podcast episodes here. I the, love that. <laughs> the 75th. The 75th. You have to pronunciate. Yeah. That's what I was told in acting school. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, and it happens to fall on a not so serious broadcast here. Yeah. Where, uh, we have no topic coming in and we just see what happens. It's kind of like throwing some shit at the wall, seeing what sticks. Yeah. Except usually something typically, at least for me, something usually sticks. Well, we always title it something. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think we get into a topic. I mean, these not-so-serious Sundays, I, I really like them. We usually talk about, like, what's been going on in the week, and then that kind of informs it. Um, another, the other podcast is we, they're topical. We pick a topic, we try to discuss it. I kind of like these not-so-serious ones because as we talk, we end up kind of finding out something that is actually maybe um, we didn't realize was so obvious. Yeah, yeah, something very unexpected. Yeah. And so with that and all this discussing about how we do this. Mm-hmm. Now I guess we just have to actually start talking about something. Well, we can talk. Yeah. So, um, well, we're going to launch this podcast officially tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. So we've come a long way. I was actually just talking to a friend today. I haven't talked to him in a few months. Um, he and I have both been uh, working on separate businesses, but we've been you know, rebranding our businesses redefining our relationships, our partnerships and all sorts of things. Um, and, uh, you know, I was happy to hear that he's had a lot of success, um, with his new business and his new partnerships as have I with, with the new launching of BC film Academy, which is super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Everything looks great. Thanks. Yeah. And so, you know, this year has been one of those years where, you know, I've been doing a lot of work, um, but there's not been a lot seen for a year, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of, it's kind of been feeling like throwing stuff into an abyss, even with this podcast. I mean, we keep recording it, but we haven't really released it and we're in our 75th before we record. Yeah. Right. And so there's a lot of work that's been done, but now what's really neat is all this work that's been put in has been starting to kind of surface and now kind of come to light and all these amazing things are really kind of coming out of it all. Yeah. And so maybe, I mean, maybe that's the topic, maybe talking about how like, you know, artists were working away and entrepreneurs were working away in silence a lot of the time. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's, it it is an important thing to like, if you're, if you're doing this, if you've chosen the life of an artist, um, you know, it's, you're, you've got to be in it for the long game. Yeah. You know, it is really is a long game. I mean, maybe you're not, maybe you, you reach a point and you say, you know what? this shit just doesn't make me happy anymore and it's not worth it for me. And then, you know, but that's great. You know, then art was still kind of a way in which you found whatever your path is going to be through. But if you are committed to doing it, like it's, it's a long term game. I mean, for us as with backgrounds as actors, I mean, you hear stories about actors who went for years and years and years and years and thought about quitting, you know, for, 
you know, over a decade longer even. And then suddenly something huge happens for them. Like, uh, like John Hamm was one of those guys. He was, he was teaching acting to in high school or something like that. Yeah. Before he got the role of Don Draper. I mean, does anybody remember John Hamm in anything before Mad Men? Right. And, and then, then he became huge. And yeah, no, he's, uh, I would say that he's arguably a household name. Yeah. Arguing that maybe not like, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, but I think enough people know who he is. Well, you know, point. and I don't, I don't actually know him by name, but the person who created Mad Men, I think it was almost 20 years, yeah. 15 or 20 years, 10 years at least before Matt that. Matt Weiner? Uh, might be it. I think it's Matt Weiner. But it was called, he'd tell everyone it's my advertising project. You know, yeah. it isn't even called Mad Men at the time. And, you know, uh, it wasn't until Showtime came around where they wanted to take some chances on uh, making shows and stuff. And so that was, it know. wasn't, it wasn't even Showtime. It was, it was AMC. Oh, it was AMC. <laughs> right. AMC did that one. Yeah. So, um, you know, like, uh, same with, um, another one, another big show that came out, Stranger Things. That was like in eight years before that thing actually got picked up and made. Yeah. And you know, it's, um, it's interesting cause I've talked about this on earlier podcasts. I've talked about this script that I wrote, the burning blues, which has opened a lot of doors for me as a screenwriter, but it's been a really interesting process with that because even when I thought this project was going to go, um, you know, there's all sorts of funny little hangups that, that go along the way. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to believe that one day this film will get made. Um, and I think it will, but you know, it's going to have an interesting story behind it because, you know, and I think that's the thing is, you know, I was talking about this on an earlier podcast. Sometimes I think we need to just do the work and create the thing. And don't worry if the thing actually gets made or becomes successful, but the thing leads to opening up another door, Mm -hmm. which is the big thing that I've discovered you know, along the way. Or everything is growth. Like we kind of discussed on, on a recent podcast. Yeah. Like what you're saying. Um, I've, I've referenced this as well, the, a few times throughout various podcasts, but, uh, I'm rereading this book. So, uh, it's, it is bringing up all kinds of fascinating things. Uh, care of the soul by Thomas More, And he has this one, uh, part, I think he's actually talking about the sort of the archetype of, of the father or what fatherhood means and that sort of thing. But he compares it to, um, Homer's Odyssey, uh, which is about like Odysseus and his like crazy adventures. And it takes him like 10 years to get back home. Right. Um, and sort of like looking at, because the Greek mythology is just, is full of just like metaphor for our lives. And so it's, a lot of what this, the tale of Odysseus is saying is that, you know, he had to learn how, like through all of these years. And it feels like, why did he have to go through all of these years? But he had to do all of that so that when he finally came back home, he was ready to be a father. He was ready to be a leader. He was ready to be a husband. Hmm. Right. But it took like all of these crazy trials and, and challenges and things for him to become the person he needed to be. Hmm. And I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, artists are on their own sort of odyssey. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting thing. I think it's so vulnerable to be an artist because we, we have to work away at our craft and we, we just want to do our craft and we want to put it out there. But at the same time, you know, because I think society is so just, there's, there's not as much facilitation towards being an artist. 
and we've talked about this on other podcasts, but mm-hmm. because there isn't really a facilitation, like, like there's a facilitation to be a lawyer or to be a doctor. And it's looked upon as though, like if someone becomes a lawyer, no one's like, Oh, like that person's lazy. Like they're like, they became a lawyer. So obviously they must've worked hard and obviously they must be educated. But if someone says like, Hey, I'm an actor, you don't have the same kind of, you know, like people don't recognize that there might've been a lot of work put into that. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, because it's art is looked at, like we, we live in a world where it's kind of like materialistic and economy based and how much money you make. And, you know, we don't look at art necessarily the same way because we base it on values that are based on, can you survive? Can you pay for yourself? And and yeah, it's seen as something as like, it's kind of superfluous. Yeah. Which is, you know, in some ways, yes, it is. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not necessarily necessary for our survival. Although I guess that's arguable as well. I mean, it's like, it's like, art is, it is, it's something that's extra in our lives. But I mean, that's kind of the stuff that enriches when our lives, when we look back on history, like we look back at the, the art of the time to define it, like the, the paintings, the sculptures, the music, like that's, that's kind of the way that we get a good grasp of a lot of the things that were going on. Yeah. I mean, well, what is without art? I mean, where's our identity? Where is our, you know, like culture, where is anything without art? You know, if it really is just a game of numbers and it's all scientific and everything's just about, you know, um, we would all, none of us would believe in God. Uh, you know, none of us would really get in relationships cause we just see it as a, as a, a, a liability that you didn't yeah. need. Um, if everything was like that, you know, and we didn't create and we didn't express ourselves. I mean, it would be pretty bleak world. Yeah. And I think art is something where, you know, yeah, I, I, I hear the point. I think art is done best when you're thriving. I don't think it's something that you really get to fully express when you're in survival mode, but art in many ways saved my life. I mean, you know, when my parents split up and, you know, I was like 14 years old and I, you know, we lost everything and I didn't have a lot of friends around and, um, it was just a weird time in my life. I remember I, I went out and I saw movies. Now people might say, Oh yeah, that's, you know, that saved my life. I had somewhere to go. I had something that I could do. And, and through those movies, I felt like they were a place where I could kind of find myself. Mm -hmm. And, And I've heard it said that, you know, the theater, the movie theater is our new church, our modern day church. It's where (laughs) we go to find ourselves. Whereas in the past we didn't have it. So that's what we do. Yeah. And, and, um, there was a period in my life where, you know, I kind of, I was into filmmaking and I was really kind of looking at as long, it was further along, like in my early twenties, maybe late teens. But I was like, well, why, like, why am I a filmmaker? What do we do? Like, how do we help people? And, and I realized that I started doing research and I, I found out, um, this was in university actually. So I must've been, yeah, whatever around then. And anyway, I remember, um, hearing that in the great depression, people were broke. They had to sell everything. They couldn't even eat, but the movies flourished and every, and they said, everyone always has a dime to see a movie. And the reason why is because when, when we're depressed, we go to these things for hope. We go to these things for finding a uh, purpose in our life to yeah. find a more of a greater meaning. So, you know, you can say, yeah, like you need shelter, you need food, you need clothes. But sometimes I think things like movies and art are, you know, and whatever are things that keep people alive. I think they're very important. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I've been, this was something 
that I, I hadn't thought of before we came into the conversation, but it was something that, uh, I have been kind of going through in my mind. I was, um, what was I watching? Oh yeah. Um, uh, you know, my fiance, she loves, um, she loves fantasy movies and stuff. And she was rewatching through like some of the Harry Potter movies. So I was kind of like jumped in for the last, for like the last two, which was like a two part movie or whatever. And, and it's pretty dark. Like it's there, they actually get pretty dark, yeah. <laughs> those movies. Um, and I was just, I was watching it and I was thinking, man, this is so interesting. Like, and, and then uh, not just that, I mean, something like Harry Potter deals very much like almost with a literal interpretation of stuff like good and evil and, you know, those types of, of themes. But, you know, you start to see how these things really like permeate through like all of our storytelling and, uh, whether that's through, you know, song or film or a theater or what have you, it's, there's all of these human themes of, battling against the odds, battling against the darkness, triumphing, like, um, redemption. And, you know, like there's these, there's these things that just there, it just seems to be ingrained in film. And I think, you know, this is my theory, but I'm like, it's because these things are kind of ingrained in us, Hmm. you know, for whatever reason, you know, it's like, why are, why do we have a, have a, such a curiosity and a fascination and a desire to continue to see these things. And I think like what you're saying, like people go to see movies or, or listen to that album that they love or whatever, because there are these things that give us some kind of, they can give us some kind of hope sometimes, or they can make us feel a certain sense of not being alone. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, because when you're stuck in just, you know, your survival needs, when you're stuck just in that place, like it's, it's a really disparate kind of place. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I think like, um, coming from the film side of things, it's sometimes film is just used as a distraction and, yeah. and, yeah. and uh, that's fine. I think sometimes that's what you need. I think sometimes the emotional, your emotional life is just so intense and you don't have a way to get around it. And, uh, maybe going for a little bit of escape is, is okay. I think at other times, maybe you went for escape, but you're open for something a little bit more and you find something in the movie, which really helps you. You know, last night I was watching that movie joy with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. I was telling you a little bit yeah. about that. And, um, she hits that classic moment in a story. And I, I always teach this in screenwriting. And, and when people miss this point, they miss such an opportunity, but it's uh, the rock bottom moment. It's where the character has hit the point where they're just totally devastated. Like they're done for. And you as an audience member don't really know what they'll do. I mean, you know, if you see enough movies, you kind of go, well, they're going to figure out a way. I don't know how they're going to figure out a way, but if you really like put yourself in the position of that character, well, she hits this moment in the story and it's really like clearly the rock bottom moment. I mean, just everything she's tried to build and do has just been totally obliterated and destroyed. And, um, you know, and, and then there's this moment in the story. It's, you know, I call it the hand of God. It's, it's the moment where, um, in, in theater, they used to call it back in the day, used to call it Chekhov's gun, or, you know, there's a variation of names that you can call it, but it's where something that's actually already occurred comes to light. And what it does is it gives uh, another chance, even in your darkest moment. Yeah. And what I learned through story, and I think this was kind of my saving grace for movies is I recognized this moment when I was very young 
And I had a kickboxing teacher actually point out once, he said, you know, it's hanging in the pocket. It's when you're fighting this, you know, this big brute of a guy and, you know, you're there and you know that you're just getting your, your ass kicked and you're looking for that punch. You're looking for that chance to, to figure out how am I going to get out of this, right? And he was talking about how when someone punches, when they, when they expose themselves, they actually leave themselves vulnerable mm-hmm. for a knockout. And he called it hanging in the pocket. Now, I don't know if he got that term himself. I think he got it from somewhere else. But basically, when you hang in the pocket, when you wait for the punch and you don't fear the punch anymore, because there's this, there's a certain point where if you're getting beaten on, which, you know, I had before, there's a certain point where you can't really get beat anymore. You're kind of like, you're almost like, it's kind of like enough, you know, where you're not really scared of getting a beating anymore. Like there's this, uh, let me just kind of <laughs> give an example. I love that moment in Goodwill Hunting where he says to Robin Williams, um, he says, you know, my dad used to put, uh, what was it? The, the, oh yeah, the belt, the, yeah, the belt and the stick and the bat or something like that. Or yeah, or something, yeah, or yeah something, or, whatever. And, and then, or the wrench or something the wrench. like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think it's that. And Robin Williams would gotta go with the belt and he goes, I went with the wrench and, and, uh, Robin Williams goes, why? And he goes, cause fuck him. That's why. And, and it's real like that. You know, you get to a certain point where you're like, you can't like just bring your worst because I don't even care anymore. But when you hit a rock bottom in your life, when you've dealt with enough pain, you start to, you start to be like, you don't care. Like it's like the pain, there can't be any more pain when it gets so painful that you're like, I can't take anymore. This is almost laughable. Um, I realized that if you just hang in there and you don't run away and you don't give up, that there always seems to be this kind of weird hand of God. And I'm not just talking about movies. I'm talking about life. But I started to recognize this in movies. I noticed that characters, when things got at the absolute worst, and even though they look like they were giving up, they kind of just hang in there just long enough to find a way. And in this movie, I think the reason why it was like an Oscar nominated recognized movie is partly because of this moment. And and I found it really inspiring where the, where she kind of goes and looks for a way out of this, even in her worst moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, inspires us because otherwise like movies give us a real quick example, like a, like a 90 minute or a couple hour example of how we can strive for something really important in our life, reach the greatest obstacle and then fight through that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I was watching this, um, this talk from, uh, from Rob Bell, who's like kind of a, he's kind of like a new, he's like a spiritual leader, um, he's written some really great books, just like really great sort of advocate for being a good human being. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I was watching this talk, um, and he was, he was saying like, he was making this point on sort of how our lives go. And he says, if you ask most people to tell you like, like four or five defining moments in their life, it's like, you will hear stories of people's loss. You will hear stories of people's addiction. You'll hear stories of like when people were down, like in like the rough shit of who they are Mm. and they came out of it with just like, and it changed them. Right. And I think that that's like, this is what we do. Like this is, and I mean, it seems so obvious. I mean, we look at so much of this stuff so technically that we forget to see some of like, you know, truly kind of the soul that's actually that the technique is sort of pointing towards, right. Mm -hmm. That's all it's really trying to help gear you in. It's like, well, no, we're really just trying to communicate 
what it's like to be a human being, yeah. you know, and how our lives kind of go, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of presented in this way and in this kind of a scale, you know, it's just a medium in which we're, we're talking about how we live. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's all there. Like it's all about real human drama, real human relationships, like unfolding and, yeah. and how that all kind of looks, you know, people in those defining moments of, of their life, you see them moving towards it and it all happening and then beginning, middle and end. Well, right. You know, it's, um, it, it's so true. I mean, and I think what happens is when we're young, we're kind of taught to, um, believe that life's a bit of a fairy tale, you know, and that, we can kind of, you know, and it's, it's, um, we don't, we're, we're kind of distracted from the adversity the character faces and, 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 and almost kind of taught to focus on the, on the reward, like, like focus on the, on the moment where the person's holding up the Oscar or focus on the moment where like the person finds the love of their life and Mm. focus on all these things. And there's this weird kind of delete deleted part of the story, which is that, yeah, but that character for most of the story didn't have it easy. They struggled yet when we're in our own life, we have, um, this avoidance to struggle, this avoidance to discomfort, this avoidance to take risk. Cause what if something goes wrong? And I think if you really start to look at art, you start to see that what artists are really trying to express is they're trying to express the adversity that's overcome to find your humanity, to find your excellence, to find your greatness. And I think if you live a life where you try to do everything safe, um, you know, for example, let's say you wanted to be an actor and out of high school, you decided, yeah, I want to be an actor, but I'm going to go and do this safe job because I'm going to make money and I'm going to get my house and do this thing. Well, you, you did the thing that you were kind of taught by society, but then you never really kind of got to express that thing that was important to you. And so what ends up happening is there's kind of this, um, lackluster, uh, fairy tale, you know? And I think what artists are kind of hanging on to, to some degree is they're hanging on to the possibility of overcoming these, these great obstacles and have it be internal, have it be societal, have it be whatever. And I mean, anybody who pursues the arts in some way, you're forced to face your greatest demons and you're forced to face society's demons, whether you know it or not. But if you kind of go and you do the, you know, the regular job, now I'm not saying that's bad. I think that's good. I think that there's a certain, um, practicality to being responsible and making money. I'm not saying like everybody should just be an artist, but if you have a desire to go and do something like it could, doesn't even have to be art. It could be like, I, I, I love this person, but I'm too scared to tell them I love them or I'm too scared to marry them, or I'm too scared to have that kid, or I'm too scared to go on that journey to the other side of the world, whatever it is, every time we suppress that back, we stop the possibility of us actually facing any real adversity in our life. Mm -hmm. And therefore we stop actually giving our sense or a chance to be the potential of who we really are. And art, it just puts characters and people and, and things into a, 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 an option to like be something more than just existence. Yeah. 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 I was, um, having a chat just, um, yeah, just last week, uh, I met this, um, this woman who is, um, in, uh, she helps coach entrepreneurs, um, and teach entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And, um, 
Because it went, our, our guest that we had a little while ago, Marco Pasqua, I went, he was giving a sort of a keynote address to this, these graduates or whatever. So I went and, and saw him do that. And yeah, I ended up having this conversation with this, with this woman who is part of this program and, and all of this. And, and it was really interesting on how we were really connecting on like entrepreneurship and, and artistry. Just, I think because as artists, you are somewhat of an entrepreneur, Mm-hmm. But I think that there's so many, there's so many similarities between the two of them. You know, like you don't necessarily have to be in an art, but I mean like entrepreneurs, I mean, that's, yeah, some people get into it just to kind of try and just, they just don't want to work for anybody else. And, you know, they just want to be self-employed and, and whatever. But I thought, I found it was really interesting. Some of the people who are getting up and talking about it and giving pieces of advice, um, there are people who are winning awards and stuff like that. And all of them were saying, it's like, it's not enough just that you want to be self-employed. It's like, you've got to care and love about what this thing is that you're doing. Mm-hmm because that's the only thing that's going to get you through it. Yeah. Right. Because like, in the, especially in that first year, I mean, they say your first year as an entrepreneur, like if you think that, like if you make money in your first year, like if you make, like if you're in the black in your first year, like that's, you are an anomaly mm-hmm. because it almost doesn't happen. And that's with working like, you know, 14 to 18 hour days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the way you put that too, because I think a lot of people get into, to artistry and they, and they do because they want to be an artist, but you know, an artist, I think that sustains themselves, and one who succeeds and flourishes is one who recognizes the value they offer. You know, I, I, one of my, um, you know, artistic heroes is, uh, Jim Carrey. Mm. And, and that, that's a guy who, you know, some people don't like him, whatever, irrelevant what your opinion is of him. One thing about him, and you can see by his success, both um, materialistically in the beginning of his career and internally in the later part of his career, is he's always looked at the value that he can bring. You know, uh, you look at him and you look at all his movies and, and even when he was on Saturday Night Live and everything, it's all very much about, you know, making people laugh and getting out there and doing something you know, and, um, if you look at the people who are succeeding, it's because they bring a value to the table. Now, whether they recognize that they bring a value or not, the only reason why like uh, these things exist is because someone brought a value. And I think as, as artists, we're kind of fighting so hard just to be an artist that we thinking so much about ourselves that we, we, we're, and, and because like, so much of school and everything is kind of like not really showing artists, like, how are you going to offer this value to make money? You know what I mean? Like, like there's no, like, well, maybe there will be, maybe there are some, they're not as popularized, but like there should be, um, almost schools and, and models in place, which kind of help artists to figure out how to offer a value. You know what I mean? Like how to bring something to the table, Yeah. you know? And, and I think if, if, for example, if, if actors realized more that it's not about who's better. It's about who brings more value to the project, who helps the, the project deliver more value. Cause essentially people only watch a show because they think there's something in it for them, you know? And, um, 
sometimes they might be watching it just because there's a known name actor in it and they don't really have much more reason than that. But, you know, we're watching stuff because for some reason we think that by watching it, we're going to get something out of it as an audience member. Mm -hmm. So if you're the entrepreneur, the artist, you got to think, well, how am I delivering a value? You know, but I think there's just like this kind of weird disconnect and that's why a lot of artists struggle. Well, I mean, I think, and because the thing is when, once you ask that question, how am I bringing value? Right. Like you, if you ask that of yourself as, as an artist, I mean, that's, it's almost like you're, you're almost, you're asking it an objective question about something that is very subjective. What do you mean? In a way, like, so it's like, if you're asking of an artist, like, it's like, okay, well, how, how do I, you know, like, how do you, or how do I bring value to this? Right. Well, I mean, there's, there's a certain degree to which, how do you really answer that to a degree? Maybe this is where some of the things of entrepreneurial and as like an artist, there might be some degrees of, of difference between it. Because like if as an entrepreneur, like you have some sort of a service or product, not that you don't have necessarily like a service that you're doing as an artist, but there is something that your, your product is, is an expression, mm-hmm. right? It's not like something that's manufactured and boxed and put out there. Um, but it's, but it's something that's, I, it's something that that's kind of changing. My, my only concern is that like with that question, it's like, okay, well, like, cause for myself, like I've had that question asked to me as like an actor before. It's like, it's like, well, how, how are you, how do you bring value? You know, how are you bringing like, like what is it? And and I was kind of left like with, and I, I don't know. Right. I don't know. I, I'm, uh, you know, committed and, you know, I've, you know, I kind of fit this niche, I guess. And I'm kind of this type or whatever. And, it, and it's, I feel like as an artist, I mean, your value is, is somewhat dependent on your ability to fully, freely and authentically express. Well, Okay. I think is like an actor offers a specific service for say a story or a project or whatever it, you know, if like Henry Ford or whatever, you know, he manufactures the car, right? Yeah. Well, let's say you're the tires, right? Let's say the actor's the tires. Well, the manufacturer is still deciding on what tires to choose. And if there's a lot of people offering tires, they're going to choose the tires that make the most sense for the manufacturer. So the, the, the thing you're posing is kind of flawed, which I think the whole model of acting in the modern day is a little bit flawed because actors who look at acting as though I'm just going to act, I'm not going to create any work. I'm not going to be the distributor the, you know, of my own work. Right. I think, I think you're just like totally crazy. I, I just think that's crazy. I mean, yeah, like, you know, there's going to be actors who kind of like make it through and kind of get chosen, but like you're gambling at that point because now you're leaving it up to other people to make that choice for your career. And so entrepreneurship is the same way. Like if, if I'm going to decide who's always going to hire me, then I'm not really in control of my career. Right. So as an actor, you can't, you can't actually say I'm an entrepreneur and then expect everyone else to hire you. Right. So you got to look at it too, right? Like, um, okay, well let's say that really every production I audition for is my potential client. 
as if I'm an actor, they're my client and I got to get them to buy into what I'm selling. You got to look at the model a little bit differently. The value you're offering is to the production, not to the audience necessarily. So you got to look at that production and every production is different. And here's the problem. Let's say every production wants blonde haired girl who's, you know, five, seven with, you know, uh, double D tits. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Yeah, no, right? I'm not. I, I know. And I've I, seen, a, I've seen it's breakdowns. Ridiculous, yeah. Right. It's <laughs> ridiculous. But, but now that's what they want. And you know, they want her to have this tiny little waist and they want her to dress in a skirt and they want her blah, 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 all this stuff. Now they're looking for that specifically. Now you come along and you're, you're a much more, uh, well, well-trained actress, right? You've, you've gone to more schools. You have more people backing you. You have a better agent, better headshots, better everything. But the problem is, is that you're dealing with a manufacturer that doesn't want you. They don't want the product that you're selling. Now you can complain about that and talk about how that's not fair, but what's the problem is that you're saying I'm victim to the manufacturer. What you got to do and, and, and this has always been throughout history. Someone has to stand up and say, I don't like the way the system is. And instead of complaining and bitching about it, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to change it. I'm going to be a change maker. Right. And that's, and that's the thing is like artistry, like there's this kind of victimhood to artistry that I don't like. Yeah. You know okay. what I mean? I, I think I understand more of what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. But now listen, like if I'm like a male model, square jaw, you know, whatever, perfect waist, all this other stuff right? And I fit the manufacturing model, of course, like my career in a certain way is going to work because, you know, as provided I kind of meet the standards that they want, it's going to work, right? Because that's what they're looking for. But, um, and it can be for, you know, uh, cliche characters or, or, you know, and, and if leads are only looking a certain way, it's fine. But the thing is, is that as artists, we are not a victim to the industry. And I think that this is this whole talk. We talk about where does artistry meet industry? Well, you know, right now you could say like, um, there's a, there's, there's an industry and there's an artistry. And just because the industry is the way it is, does not mean that artists cannot change the industry, but the industry is the way it is. And we have to deal with it as it is until we start to change it. Right. Right. That's that's my point. So, Uh, so your point as an actor, you're right, but we have to look at the greater picture of the model. Right. You know, um, and, and I think like, uh, if we're not stepping up to the plate and trying to like, I mean, we basically need to be like Henry Ford's today. We need to start stepping up and designing a new option as artists. We need to start being the, the, in my opinion, I think we need to start leading and not being like subject to whatever the industry is. Yeah. Well, and I, and the thing is, is that the industry, the industry will always follow the people who are in demand. Right whether they like that's our them, power. whether they like them or not. Right. Like that's why, I mean, especially in this day and age with like, we have so many outlets for, for printing and it's so much, it's easier than ever. Like if you want to make a film, it is easier than ever to do it. Like to, to get equipment and crews and people together to like, it's, it's never been as easy as it is now. Right. Um, and, and that is something that we should not squander. That is not something that we should, we should waste. And I, I think that that is an issue that, that especially within like, you know, a lot of the acting community and stuff is, you know, there's all these people kind of sitting around waiting for a phone call 
And it's like, you know, there's, there's so many other ways. And that's also like, that's not artistry. That's just like, you're just, that's just like a a hired gun, you know, like you're, you're not, that's not artistry. Artistry is you saying, it's like, okay, like I'm, I'm working on this. I'm working on this. Like you are, you are building something, you are moving something that is, that is personal and relevant to you. And when you start to put your, your work out into the world, no matter who gives you the say so to do it or not, you know, and people start responding to it. That's when I think the industry starts to move towards you. Yes. Right. And that's how you start to, that's how I understand what, maybe what you're saying of how you are bringing value to it, to a degree. That's you saying, it's like, no, I've already established a certain sense of value because I've done this. You know, I've built an audience already of people who are, you know, who like my work, who enjoy my work. Right. right. And then, I mean, that's one way. That's the way that I like to think of creating a sense, putting some value out there, but it still begins with you being, you know, authentically an, an artist, as opposed to saying like, what should I be? What do I sort of need to be in order to get hired? Yeah. Kind of thing. Right. Because then now you're, now you're playing into the industry's hand, which is like, that's, that's just a shitty way to go. Yeah. Um, it will like, you know, the, the industries, like they are what they are. Like you said, they will, you know, the, there's no sense in really getting mad about it. It's just, it operates in the way it does. And, you know, we can push for change, but you know, all of these things are always so incremental. It's, you know, slowly, you know, maybe yeah. not as fast as we want, like with any of the major issues that we deal with in our society and in our world, you know, we, we slowly start to, you know, create shifts and changes to, to make things better. But I mean, when, and we've talked about this before, when you're expecting, you know, you're you're like, Oh, I'm doing all the right things. And you're expecting the industry to, to just, you know, say, yes, absolutely. Come here and, and whatever. It's like, no, they're not really going to do like the industry's not really going to do that for you. Mm -hmm. You know, it will, it will do it will do for you only as much as it feels as it can get from you. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, if exactly, you know, it's, it's that whole thing. And then, and now you become, you know, basically just, you're being blown around from like trends and fads and what's hot and what's not, you know, next thing you know, you're becoming an artist who's following, you know, you're ranking on IMDB every day to see whether you've gone up or you've gone down. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just like now, like there is, you have absolutely no control what's going on at that point or really a sense of who you are within any of it. Definitely. And I mean, and the, the effects of that, you can see all over the place, you know, like people who have been built up, you know, you see these very often, these people who are saying they're in everything, Mm -hmm. they're everywhere for like a, a moment. And then Oh, you know what? Then they had two bombs that year and boom, they're gone. Yeah. Well, that's that, that's what happens. Like that's, that's how the industry, it's like, you're everybody's favorite when they think that you are going to be the big fucking thing. Yes. But the moment that there's like just that waiver of doubt that you're not it, suddenly it's just like, it's every man for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Industry wants to make safe bets on making money. I mean, yeah, cause it's a business. It's a business. 
And it's it like, you know what? It's like a yin and a yang artistry and industry. Like, you, you know, I think that when you, when you, when you kind of find the balance, which we're trying to do here yeah. between the two, you, you become very masterful. Um, and I think the thing is, is if you are a slave to industry, you might have a lot of success, but you are totally reliant on all these things outside of your control. And, and so, you know, you wonder why like so many actors are so insecure, um, even when they're super successful, Mm -hmm. because like, you know, the, this could be it. This could be the moment. Like, you know, this film doesn't work and now you're gone, you you know? And so this could make or break me. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's like very low self-esteem, you know, a sense of like, well, you know, I need this thing to work out. And we, you know, I mean, just look at, just look at these magazines, you know, the rise and fall of stars, you know, especially the young ones. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, entre- and that's, and that's where it's super like hard to watch. Yeah. We don't, know, but we don't focus young. on that. You yeah. know, we like to focus on the people who are at the top. We don't like to focus on the people that fall. In fact, you know, um, well, there is a certain fascination with the people who fall. No, I know. But, but this, my point is, is that people like laugh and gawk at them. Oh yeah. And yeah. the funny thing is, is that, you know, if you're an artist and you're laughing at gaw- and gawking at another artist who fell, like you're just playing into the whole problem. Like you're just yeah. playing into the whole thing because that industry chewed them up and now it's spitting them up. Yeah. And you know what? That's what you're watching. And, and you know what? If you succeed, this very same thing could happen to you. And a lot yeah. of these, a lot of these, um, rising and falling stars, you, you see them, uh, they're, they're usually child stars. They're usually young. Yeah. Um, they don't, they don't know they're given a lot of money and a lot of success right away. And, and they go out and they and they basically just dis- destroy themselves in the public eye because they're not prepared and they don't realize they don't have good people around them. You no. know, you've got people who are, who are just looking to profit off of them. Yes. And they're, and which is, and it's just, it's, it's just horrible. Like right. it's just horrible because like, how is, you know, I, I think of where I am now in my life and I think about, man, all this stuff going around and you're, you know, a uh, 15, 16 year old kid, even in your early twenties. Yeah. Like how the hell are you, supp- like, how are you equipped to deal with that when everybody around you is like, just like, just clawing at you. Right. You know, because like there's money and there's a lot of money that's surrounding you. Like that's just, yeah, it's just, like, it's read, brutal. Uh, read Will Smith's story, you know, about how he was on the, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and how he basically lost all his money, like, because he didn't know what he was doing and everybody's around him kind of, he was a big rapper and he's on his TV show yeah. and everybody's just taken from him. Fortunately, he was someone who bounced back, which you yeah. know, I have a lot of respect for that. Leonardo DiCaprio was someone as well. I mean, he even stopped acting for three years to kind of find himself. Uh, Brad Pitt was another person who I admire who, you know, he wouldn't take those commercial roles. He kept fighting yeah. to like have a certain kind of, and, you know, and, and, and that's why they're still around. Right? Yeah. Whereas absolutely. you look at, you look at a lot of these people like, and they're not, and they, and they went into drugs or they killed themselves or, or they just totally obliterated their career yeah. in the public eye. Yeah. It's, and that's why I think you, this is kind of coming back, I guess, to where we, where we began, you know, sometimes you don't know why certain things happen on, on your journey. And sometimes things take a certain amount of time, but I mean, it's, it's, it's why some people are kind of flash in the pan and some people hold out. Like, you know, some of these, yeah, like you're saying some of these people, they, they held out probably against a lot of pressure, yes. you know, even took a, a step back to be like, Whoa, things are just getting way too crazy. I need to like get a sense of myself and what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. Right. Like what do, like what do, 
And I think that's why we talk a lot about like, as an artist being in touch with what you really value, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's so important, like for no matter where you are, whether you are, you know, you're, you're living on, on canned soup or if you have, or if there's just like, you know, Lobster 20 million or if, yeah, if there's, <laughs> if we're yeah, there's meals. flame and yawn and it's like, and you don't even have to pay for it. Yes. And you've got 20 million in the account, right? Yeah. You know, that you're in that position, you know, it's, if you don't have a sense of who you are and what you are and what you value as an artist, you will become completely undone as an artist, no matter where you are. Yeah. I think that's where, and sometimes that means having to make some hard decisions. Sometimes it means taking a step back, Yeah, you know, and, and evaluating what the hell's going on. Right. There's not a lot of, um, you know, for artists, especially because we're on the film industry thing and, and painters, actually, I, I've been uh, working with a painter, um, recently just to help her like pricing her art and things like that. But you know what I've noticed is there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of schools which really, or, or educators or mentors or people, um, at least they're not as easily accessible to help artists figure out how to, how to value themselves and how to actually navigate the industry. You know, um, it's, it's really interesting because the industry, like it, it, it wants the safe bet. It wants to assure it's going to make money and that's kind of how it runs. And, and the reason why it runs with a certain amount of consistency is because it knows how to kind of pump out things that will make money consistently. Um, and then every once in a while it kind of, um, it's, it's usually making a safe bet, but that safe bet turns out to be a real winner, you know? And then that person kind of becomes a star and then they just kind of run with it, you know, like, and I'm not saying like there's any person behind the industry. It's like people who are, are kind of behind the money-making side of things. Look at that as they, an opportunity. And so then you run with that, you know what I mean? Um, but as an artist, I think the thing is, is you gotta, you gotta recognize that, um, you have a say in the whole thing and that like industry wants to take what it's already seen and it wants to kind of replicate it and duplicate it. So, because you can kind of assure that if it does it again, it'll probably make money again. Artistry on the other hand, wants to make something if on the most purest place wants to take something new that has never existed before and bring it in and say like, what if we did this? But artistry is a total absolute risk because we've never seen it before. We don't know if it works and like what will happen. And I think the balance between artistry and industry is taking something that already kind of works, but then bringing something new to it. And that's what, that's really the balance. I think where if you want that commercial success, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to find that because if it's too industry, it's too much of a coffee. It's, it's, it's boring. If it's too artistry, it's too new and no one really knows what it is and you can't, you know, connect with it. But if it, it's like, you got to meet the industry at rapport, but then you bring it where you want it. Right. Yeah. And that's where I think artists got to show up. You know, also the, we were talking about this a little earlier, right? We were talking about how industry kind of uses you and chews you up. Yeah. Art industry actually started with Kings and Queens because they used to actually hire players, actors to act out political plays to get their agenda met to the public. It was a, it was a basically a political commercial. <laughs> So, um, actors, uh, players were used, um, you know, and, and painters were used. They were only actually allowed to paint certain things based on what royalty wanted. And so yeah. some of the best artists 
Um, people a lot of religious like yeah. powers as well too. Totally right. Um, well, and religion and and uh, kings and queens were very tied yeah. together, right? Um, but some of the best artists, they actually they gave the the royalty and the church and all that what they wanted, but they snuck in secret things. And actually, one of the one of the periods of film that I love the most is film noir because mm. there was I don't know if you know about this, but there was a lot of like blacklisted on sexual sexuality. They weren't allowed to talk about it. But if you look at film noir, writers were being sneaky and, and putting in all these innuendos and stuff yeah. like that because they were, they wanted to get their voice through, but they were like, I'm going to make it look like I'm giving you what, what you want, but really underneath, um, between the lines, I'm actually putting in what I want. Mm-hmm. And that's how they did it. And so like, it's not different today. Today, yes. we still have to meet like this industry where it's at and we got to kind of, we got to rise above it, but we got to be smarter. Than yeah. It. Yeah. I think of like all those, yeah, like those film noirs and those old films where it was like you saw like the passionate kiss and then like it would do like a, a dissolve or a fade in some of the next scene of somebody smoking a cigarette and you're yeah. just like, and you knew what happened, yeah. right? Like that was like everybody knew. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, they did it. They did it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting, also with entrepreneurship and how this relates, cause we were talking to that before you know, there's me too entrepreneurs. There's entrepreneurs that go, I'm going to take a business that's already being done and I'm going to kind of replicate it and copy it. And then me too, you know, let me get some of this as well. You know, that just makes me think of, um, uh, something about Mary or when he picks up that hitchhiker and he's talking about, um, like seven minute abs or whatever it is. I don't remember. Oh God. It was so good. It's exactly what you're saying. It was like, he said, he's like, you know that, that video that's out there, like on the infomercials, it's like, it's eight minute, eight minute abs. He's like, well, I got something kind of like that. It's like, well, what's that? He's like, seven minute abs. <laughs> you look at your, at the shelf, you're looking at the one that says eight minute abs. And next one to that is seven minute abs. Which one are you going to take? <laughs> and it's like, okay. Right. Like, there's yeah. like, Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of like that. (laughs) Totally. I mean, and that's, and, and then people are, people are constantly just kind of like, um, trying to do the same thing that's already been done. And I think where artistry comes in is when you offer something different, you know, um, part of like, like when my school with, uh, you know, BC film Academy, which originally, you know, was a different name. When I first started it, it was immediately profitable. Part of the reason why I was immediately profitable is because I recommend, I recognize my difference that I offered. And, um, I really refined it later because I remember I had someone come in and they say, well, I'll just go to this film school. And then I realized, wow, some people are, the reason why I'm not getting as many clients as I could get is because some people still see this like film school. And then I, I learned how to communicate it. And I, I was like, you know, if you want to go to film school, you know, this is what you'll get. Right. And, and I could, and film school will promote this. They'll promote it on their website. They'll talk about it. And what I started doing was talking about the difference that I would give people the, yeah. the change, you know, like, like what does film school not give you? They don't give you direct mentorship. They don't care about the longevity of your career beyond that year or four years. They're with you. You know, yeah, they're going to make you a part of the alum, but let's look at the trajectory, the long-term part of your career. Do they actually introduce you to somebody who's actually like, credible in the industry who's actually working, like not just someone who graduated from their program, not just some teacher that kind of like quit or took a break from their career, but someone who's actually doing things right now. And so once I started kind of closing that gap, of course, like people are going to sign up because no one's offering that. Now, you know, being a smart entrepreneur, 
as people begin to kind of copy what, what I do, right? I'm going to always be raising and, and evolving the business. So we're always ahead of the game. We're yeah. always, we're always closing a gap that the film industry is not taking care of, but because we're in it first, it gives us a huge advantage, right? And so like, it's like an actor, an artist or a painter, it doesn't matter who they are. When you do it first and you recognize something that you can, you can bring a value to that no one's taken care of, that's new. And the thing is, is like, um, you know, there's like the whole, the whole film industry is interesting. Cause like once everybody starts doing something, they're not, then they're looking one way, they're leaving a gap somewhere else. Yeah. And the key is to find that gap that people want and need, but happen, but no one's exploited yet. And so that's where you go, you know? And it's about yeah. kind of being aware of the industry. Like part of the reason why the business was successful is because I was very aware of what film school is offering. I was very aware of what, you know, film teachers were offering in general. Yeah. And, and I had a good pulse on that. So from there I could go, what, what am I missing in film school? Like what am I personally missing yeah. in film school? And I started to go, that's the thing. That's the thing I need. Yeah. You know, why don't we and, figure out how to offer that? Yeah. yeah. And the thing was, was that that wasn't necessarily like, that was something that you came to an understanding of, but it was also something which is key. It was that you had a passion for Yeah. that. And that passion was also the thing that was unique right. about it, which is, I think another thing that often gets lost in this whole conversation with artists, which is like, which is again, why it's like knowing what your values are, knowing sort of like having, having a sense of yourself in the world hmm. and how you feel about things in it and, and what's going on. Like though that is stuff that's not only great for fuel in, in your work, but it's also, it's also the thing that I think gives you clarity as to how you fit, where you can, where you give value, Mm. because those are usually the things that like are kind of unique, right? You know, those things that, that come in as opposed to just saying like, all right, what is something that is, but I mean, to a degree, there is no way that you would have known that without having your passion for it. Well, you know, you're right. I mean, cause when I started, I, I simp, I, I didn't understand the marketing. I didn't understand why the marketing was actually so good. Cause when I began, um, it wasn't until later that I refined it, but I just, I saw what I, well, I saw, this is what I saw. I saw a lot of people sitting around in coffee shops talking about making films. And I saw a lot of people not following through. And I saw a lot of people, kind of scared to make their first film. I saw a lot of people going through film school and being disappointed with the result that they got out of that. I saw a lot of people going through film school and ending up being a PA and like, you know, and you know, they'd spent $40,000, $80,000 and they hadn't even really made a film other than their student film or maybe one short film after that. And it hadn't done anything and they didn't know what to do. And I saw that and I thought that sucks you know, like what if if we could answer that, you know? And I thought, you know, someone needs to help people to, first of all, number one, stop talking at coffee shops about making movies and start getting practical skills on how to make a movie and to do it now, not in nine months from now, not in like four years from now, but now today, like right today, like you could sign up today and start making your film today because I, I, I just think life's passing you by. And, and, and you know what? People wanted that. People wanted to start making their film today. And there's this, and, and I had older people, uh, I actually, one of my students stood up for me because someone later when the 
when the film school was kind of working and it was succeeding, I think we had about 70 people involved or something. Someone said, Oh, I should be teaching that. Who's Brandon to be doing that? And one of my students said, well, he's, he's doing it and you're not. And people are making films. That's what they said to them. Yeah. And I thought, fucking A, you know, because that's really it. Like, like I might not have the most credentials. I might not be the, the most experienced, but you know what? It takes someone to just stand up and say, Hey, let's do this. Yeah. And you know where it started for me was I used to always say, cause Vancouver has always been like a second place filmmaking community. It's always been like, we, we get American productions come up and we kind of make our little kind of weenie little productions. We don't know how to raise money. We don't know how to get stars. We don't know how to do anything. But yet we have all this talent. We have this yeah. amazing crews. They say some of the best crews in the world. We have amazing talent, amazing actors, amazing directors, all sorts of great people. So I, I always thought like, why don't we make it? And I always thought someone should, should like kind of stand up and do that. Yeah. And then one day I literally woke up and I said like, why couldn't that be me? And I'm like, I'm but gonna do of that. course the first question I had was, who am I to who do am that? I? Yeah. But then I was like, you know what? Well, we'll find out. And now, you know, three years later, it's like, Hey, this is like, yeah. Been my and <laughs> you know, the whole thing with that, who am I question that I'm learning more and more and more all the time yeah. is like, who the fuck is anybody? You know, like yeah. really, it's just like the, the more you realize that people don't really know <laughs> what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> really? It's like the more that you can, I find that I have more confidence just be like, be like, huh? Well, you know what? I've got a couple of ideas and I feel pretty passionate about them. So I'm going to go with them. Yeah. Right. Because that's as good as anything. Right. <laughs> and it's your passion you and know? it's your passion. So yeah. you might as well. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and the, you're the naysayers, whatever they'll come. Of course they will come. And yeah, people are always going to say, you don't have enough credentials or who are you to, you know, people are going to say stuff like that. It's going to go around, you know, but the thing is you just got to rise above that because I mean, you know, I remember there's a point where I actually shared my fear with, I don't remember who it was at the moment, but I remember the moment I'm trying to think who it was anyway, where I said, you know, who am I to be teaching this? Who am I to do this? And they said to me just very straight, who are you not to? And I remember that hitting me so hard and being like, like who, like, how do I even classify whether I can or cannot The, the, the bottom line is I'm going to help people start getting off the ground, making films. And that's a good thing. And I believe in that. And I think people, if, 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 if I help someone to, instead of spending their whole life talking about making a film, they actually made a film, then I did some good in the world. And so I thought, you know what, well, let's just go forward and do it. And, um, you know, I think if we wait around for people with credentials to always teach us, I mean, first of all, like, like, what are their credentials really? I mean, like, like you could take, you could take, say some, some actor that like kind of, they, they, they fit the commercial model. Okay. And I'm not going to, I'm not trying to tear them down, but I'm just saying like someone who fits the commercial model, they're physically fit. They look like a model. Um, they, they just are the perfect casting for like what's going on and they book a bunch of stuff. Okay. And then they're going to come and they're going to teach all the other actors how to be an actor. Well, teach through the fact that you actually like, let's be honest, got cast because you fit the mold. And now you're teaching all these other actors that don't teach fit the mold. If you were teaching actors that fit the mold, sure. You're the authority, but to teach some, some other actor that's totally like, doesn't fit the mold at all. Like, why is that actor looking at you like an authority? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, 
Like it should be the actor that like was totally didn't look like they should fit who succeeded. Yeah. That would be the ultimate yeah. person to teach you. I'm, you know? I'm just thinking of like, I, I, have you ever seen, <laughs> I'm like getting quiet here, you know, like nobody will hear, but everyone's going to hear. Uh, <laughs> I bet they're just tuned right um, in right now. <laughs> and it's, it's like, but have you ever seen somebody who was your acting teacher or somebody who you knew of that is an acting teacher in the community and you saw, you saw some of like their work and were just like, that's awful. <laughs> Cause I've seen that. Yeah. I've, I've laid witness to that or just been like, eh, it's not that good. You know, like their work's not that good. Well, and you know, that doesn't necessarily, you know, they say it's like, Oh, they're not a good teacher. doesn't mean though. that they're not a good teacher. Yes. But it's, it is kind of a funny it is kind of a funny feeling. It is a funny thing. I mean, but you know what? It's interesting, right? Because you could look at that and you could go, well, their acting is not very good. But, um, in some ways, sometimes an acting teacher or or any teacher might, um, you know, they might not succeed necessarily the way their students do. I don't know if that's necessary. Yeah. I think what's, what's a product of a good leader is that they can get the people that they, that they teach or mentor or lead to succeed. Yeah. Because I would rather a teacher that wasn't a very good, good at what they did and they didn't necessarily have a lot of success, but the tools they gave me helped me have exactly what I needed to succeed rather than have some like flashy, like superstar teacher that's had success in every way. But yet when they teach me like none of their, their teachings actually translate into my own personal success. Like what would you rather have? Like I would, instead of like saying, Oh, I got this great teacher. Who's a, who's a superstar yet I'm not succeeding at all. Yeah. I would rather have a teacher that's like, you know, I learned from this kind of like lowly little person that lives in a basement suite or whatever, whoever they are. I'm just yeah. kind of making it worse as possible. <laughs> and then they, they're the reason, like they, they gave me the, the missing links I needed to yeah. really turn my career around. Yeah. No, it was, it was, what I remember matter, somebody, right? somebody giving a turn to me on that. Cause that was, that was one thing, like when I was considering the possibility of like teaching myself, yeah. it was like, oh, are people going to think it's like, oh, those who can't do teach or whatever, you know, that also, that and, also and I remember, that. and I shared this with somebody, <laughs> I shared this with somebody and I don't remember who it was. And this is for me to do a flip side to counterpart to your story. And I said, like, well, it's like, I'm, I'm just really like, you know, those who can't do teach. And then the person said to me, he's like, yeah, but those who do can't necessarily teach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, Oh (laughs) yeah. And and I was like, Oh yeah. I never really thought about that either. Right. And there's, so it's like, it's, and then I'm like, Oh, okay. It's a completely separate, it's a completely separate beast. You know, it's like separate things. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, like, uh, you know, it's, I think, I think sometimes, um, people use teaching, as a way to hide, um, actually going out there and doing it themselves. And I think, um, sometimes people teach like acting like they've earned an authority, but they have no teaching ability. They've just had some commercial success. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that's like, well, this is sort of what I do. Yeah. And, and teaching the- is teaching's not about ego. Teaching's about like, it's like being a parent. Like if, if really like, um, you know, we have parents, right. And they do the best they can. And like, not every parent you could say is the best parent. Like some, some are not really great parents, but you know what, at the end of the day, 
you, you work with what you got and then you do your best. You know what I mean? And, um, in some ways, like if you have some, I mean, it's not the best, but if you have some kind of crappy local teacher in some Midwest town where there's like no acting community other than community theater, I mean, and that's, and that's an outlet where you get to go and kind of act. Yeah. You might be learning poorly, but at least, you know, at least you're kind of doing it. At least they're kind of creating an opportunity. Now I'm not saying that's the best, what I think is really amazing right now. And I mean, maybe it's a little more difficult with acting, but it's easy to travel and we have, um, online options. Now you don't like where you come from is not an excuse anymore. You know, maybe from a different country, maybe from a place where it's hard to get somewhere, but at least if you live in North America, you just don't have an excuse anymore. I mean, you just got to get over yourself and go travel and take a risk and go try something out. And I would also say to anybody who's learning anything, um, in the first place you study, do not assume that that person knows everything. Do not assume that they're God and that your way you're learning is right. I've seen so many actors, like they, they start with their first school and they're like, they swear by it. It's like, well, have you tried these other types of schools? Yeah. Because you might go and try them and then realize they're not as good and you weren't the best one. But until you've had a good variety of choice, you don't know. Yeah. You're working with the best you've got and it might not be the best. Yeah. And any teacher or institution that goes up there and says that they know everything. Yeah. That that's a big war- warning big sign, warning sign. <laughs> yeah. flashing fl- big giant flashing warning sign. Just be like bullshit. <laughs> right well, you here. know what I'm noticing too with most teachers these days and mentors is they're not, um, they're, they're acting more like facilitators and mentors, but they're not being like as much, uh, say teachers as they're being, um, kind of guides. And I think the new education model is recognizing that the student or the client has the answers within them and they have it within their experience. So instead of, um, teaching them and telling them deductively how it's supposed to be as a teacher or mentor, my actual goal is to push them out into the world and get them to experience it, but to do it in a way where they're guided with some direction and safe. But for the most part, they're going to work out a lot of the details on their own by interacting with the world. Yeah. So like, for example, um, you know, film school, and and not all film schools are necessarily like this, but a lot of film schools, they'll get you to read a bunch of books first, which I think is the worst thing in the world. Like, don't get them to read a book. Day one, get them out there making a film, get them shooting something, get them to experience what it's like to like ask someone to like put something over there or get an actor to say a line. Just get them to experience that because once you've experienced it, then when you read the book, you'll have context. But if you start reading a book and you've never made a film, like you have no context to reality. Yeah. Everything is just theory. Com- everything is theory completely. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's like, you know what I like about Meisner and what you teach is, is you kind of go, okay, we're just kind of going to get into it. We're going to repeat a little bit and we kind of get up and we do that after kind of our brief little introductions. Then we have context. Then once you told us some stuff, we had context to that, yeah. which you, you let us inductively experience repetition. But if you just started like telling us all about repetition and this is how repetition works and blah, 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 blah. And this is what it's supposed to yeah. do and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. We'd have all these ideas and then we try and project those ideas into our process. Right. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. And like filmmaking and acting. And I think painting in some way, like don't tell a kid how to paint, let them paint on their own. Let them put their hands on the, on the paper or the, use the paintbrush on their own. Let them try it out. Mm-hmm. Then give them context 
later, but they have real world experience. Yeah. My problem with the education system is they give you theory before you have real world experience. Yeah. S- silly. It's stupid to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a short, it was a very small soapbox <laughs> for you today on the education system. I swear to God, it does seem like almost every episode. Yeah. I try to get it do, in every like yeah, second or third, <laughs> at least, at least. The education system is screwing you. Um, but it is. <laughs> it is. And if you want to talk more about it, you know. Just send Brandon a message and he'll, um, he'll be happy to, uh, to join with you well, on that. Yeah, it is. But you know what? I'm, I'm always going to talk about that because, like, I think that's our major number one most important thing to shift as a, as a, as a first world country is we need to move beyond this deductive industry-based education system. I think that's the number one most important thing. And I think third world countries need to first have an education system. And maybe even if it's the model that we're using currently just to get things started, good. And I'm not saying the the education system in and of itself is bad. I think it does some good. But at this point, we're we're evolved enough as human beings where we need need to have better education. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think this is, yeah, without, without question. Yes. Yes. So I'm going to soapbox it a few times more. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. And I want you to. Don't get me wrong. I want you to because I, I love it. Um, I'm going to talk about this beer. Yeah. For a quick moment. Sure. So this uh, this is, I went back. We just uh, featured them for the first time a little while ago on here. Um, this is from Steamworks Brewing Company. And uh, this is their seasonal Marzen. Oh. Described as a traditional Oktoberfest lager. Yeah, you know it's it's uh, yeah it's really tasty. It's really light. It's it's darker, and I thought it was an ale, but then you kind of taste it, and you're like, "Well, this is a nice light." Yeah, beer. no. And and when the guy gave me like I saw it, and I'm like, "Ooh, that sounds real good." And I said, "Just just give me a fill on this," and then uh, and then he gave me a little, you know, like a little sort of uh, flight glass, basically almost full. Um, of it. She's like, Oh, here's a little taster. Just, just for you to have while I'm filling it up. Yeah. And I had a sip of it and I was like, Oh my God, that was not what I thought it was going to be, but delightfully, delightfully surprised. I'm because yeah, you think it's going to be something like real, like rich and like a real mouthful. Yeah. Just cause it's so dark. Yeah. Because it's so dark, but it's, it's so crisp and, and just nice, like lots of flavor, but yeah, I like how they describe it as an Oktoberfest beer because it's October and it's um it, which it's, is actually the end of uh, like there's Oktoberfest is over. Right. Which has kind of always been a strange thing for me. Oktoberfest is at like the end of September. Right. Into the first bit of October. Yeah, but it's a, it's a really good beer. I, you know, two thumbs up. I really like this one. Yeah. You made a good choice. Yeah. yeah. Steamworks, they've been around for a long time, so Cool. Um well, okay. So we got the beer done. Um, we talked about the education system. <laughs> yes, we got talking, that in there. Yeah, we've talked about um, you know the doing the, the long yin. the long haul and um, yeah yeah the yin the yang the industry and the artistry and um, well oh okay. man so there's there's a lot of things to cover here but um, yeah I mean uh, we can wrap it up in the next little bit here but uh, I think the thing is about artistry and industry is that if we, if we look at, I think that artists would benefit from understanding the two, like really understanding what industry is and understanding what artistry is. And 
I think you do yourself a real disservice if you're say like an actor or filmmaker and you don't consider yourself an artist. And I think you, you do yourself a real disservice if you make the industry wrong. Um, I think the, the key is to, you know, to find a way to appreciate both and you don't have to necessarily play in both, but, um, be able to make a, you know, a, an informed decision on all of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to say like industry is bad would be to say that offering value to others consistently where they can rely on it and depend on it is bad. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. And to say that, um, artistry is like pointless is to be like, well, how are we ever going to create anything new or how are we ever going to bring something and take any risks in, in this world? You know what I mean? Um, and I think artistry is kind of that, that element that's really pushing our world forward. Whereas industry is kind of making sure the bases are covered, you know? And so you kind of are trying to do both. You're kind of trying to make sure the bases are covered and while they're covered now push the world forward a little bit with your new idea, your innovative, creative way. Yeah. And I think also artistry industry is like, here's how we've done it before. This works. Here's how to do it. Replicate that. Do that again. That should work for you. Artistry is more like, go out and try this, like go out and try that. Let's, let's see what you come up with. And you know, um, who knows what'll happen, Yeah. but you know what, you're going to find out some things and, and we don't know if it'll work. We don't know if it won't, whatever, yeah. but you're going to figure it out. And artistry is like this totally like other side of the spectrum. And I would say like, and I went on my education rant, education system is based on industry. It's not based on artistry. Yeah. And the reason why I think it needs to evolve is that I don't think we need to necessarily lose all the industry. We need to embrace the artistry and the education system. Yeah. 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 No, there's, there's definitely, there's industry, uh, is based on, yeah, like a lot of, you know, consistencies and, you know, probabilities and, but I would even say traditions, right? I think there's a lot of traditions within the industry and just like any tradition, some of them, you know, are like have value and some of them not necessarily, you're not necessarily at all times. Hmm. Right. And, uh, I think that, that can be a good way of, of sort of looking at it. You know, what are some of these, the traditions, some of the conventions, uh, that are typically followed and, and what are the values in those? Um, and in terms of, you know, what you're doing as an artist, how do those fit within that? Do they, or don't they, how can you, if like, and again, it's all depending on what you want to do, right? Like if you don't want to do something commercial, then do something completely like purely artistic from, you know, from the very depths of your soul Mm -hmm. by all means. Um, but if you want to do something that, that has the, the possibility of reaching a mass audience in, you know, big, you know, in the silver screen in nations, all over the globe, then there are going to be some things that you're going to have to like check off, you know, there's going to be some boxes that you're going to have to tick there. Um, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I think that once you start being really judgmental about all of that, um, you know, you're going to, I mean, you're, you've just, killed yourself before you've even begun on that endeavor. And then I don't even know why you wanted to do it in the first place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, 
it just demands a bit, sometimes it just demands more creative approach. And I think that that's what industry can even do. It can ask you to be creative in a way that you're not maybe normally used to being creative. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do I, f- you know, work within some of these, some of these constraints. And like we've, we've discussed on here before and, and we can point example to, there have been many works that benefited greatly because of constraints that were on them. Yeah. I mean, I remember, um, the story that's jumping into my mind is, um, the director dog, uh, the director dog, the director, Doug Lyman, um, who's a guy who did swingers and with swingers, which has just like one of the most unbelievable casts of like unknowns at the time yeah. <laughs> that you can imagine. Um, but he directed this movie as a relatively somewhat unknown director as well. And, but they had like a budget of like a million dollars or something to do it. And he said like, and I didn't really know what to do with that. (laughs) It's like, because it wasn't nothing, Yeah. but it was still a bit. And so like I could do some things, but I couldn't do others. Like there were things. And, and he said like, in some ways he's like, like I almost would have preferred it. Like if it was just super low budget, because then it's like, then you just got to get super creative about everything. Right. You know, as opposed to like when you just have like a big budget and now you have, but yeah, it was like basically what he, what he was saying is that, you know, there's sometimes these things that we see as limiting us actually offer us creative opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I remember you shared a bit about that on one of the earlier podcasts where they had to film the club scene. And how they kind oh, of yeah. just went in there and they're like, like it was like a club night. And yeah. They like just kind of, it filmed. was open and they just like came in and picked up whatever shot that they needed and yeah. whatever. But yeah, it's just like it, it opens up possibilities for you where you think that like everything's just being kind of closed in around you sometimes, but you just, I think it's always just artistry oftentimes means just like looking, looking a little harder for the opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I would also say like, uh, with, with entrepreneurs or business owners or, or someone who's like maybe just not even considered an artist is to, is to bring artistry into your life. I mean, look at how you can be more creative and innovative. Look at how you can try some things out that maybe aren't proven before, you know, like, like venture outside of the, the norm of, of what's you, you know, you're used to. Um, I think what makes a lot of the time, really the difference is when someone really understands their industry so well that they can move their industry beyond what it's, what it's doing. Um, you know, and, and, and that's where innovation and creativity kind of live. Yeah. And so, you know, like one thing, um, like they do in university when you go to film school is they spend a lot of time uh, doing what's called film studies, not necessarily like the film, you know, so you just study film. And I think that's good in a certain way. It's all theory. It's not so good to, I think, start with film studies when you want to be a filmmaker, because I think you get too much theory before you start actually doing practical things. Mm-hmm. I think you should make films and then start studying like film theory a little bit more. That's just my opinion. Cause I think mental gets in the way of actually like practical doing, but, um, film studies is really good because it kind of gives you an idea. You can study like Irish film. You can study like all sorts of film and you can start to get an, a real grasp of how the industry's worked. And, um, from there you can start making decisions. Cause now that you understand how it works, you can start thinking outside of 
of the way it's worked, right? But if you don't have a grasp on how it even works, a new idea to you might have been something that's been long time already done. So it it's might be innovative to you, but it's not innovative to the industry because the industry's already done it. You just don't know about it. Yeah. So like part of being innovative in an industry is about having a good grasp on that industry. Yeah. Like I remember when I was 16, we had a, uh, the filmmaker come in and he had seen thousands and thousands of films. And I remember some of his advice was we, we there was five of us, we were in this specialized program. And he was like, uh, just, you need to watch a lot of films. You need to watch a lot. You need to get a grasp on how this, how this works because you have so much access to all this stuff. And I went through a period where I would go to Blockbuster when we had rental videos yeah. <laughs> and you could rent 12 movies in a week from Blockbuster. They had this deal. Yeah. And it was like ridiculously cheap, but you could rent 12 for a week. And sometimes I would rent 24 in one week and I would watch like three a day. I would just watch movie after movie after movie after movie. And I just was looking for patterns and I was looking for consistencies and I was looking for stuff. And that was one of the best educations I've ever gotten in yeah. filmmaking. And he was right. I mean, it was some of the best advice I ever got. Just watch film to film to film. And what happens is you start my experience and maybe some would be the same for everybody, but my experience was you start to kind of disconnect a little bit from all the stories, you know, you kind of start to look at them as like, like I started just to give you an idea. I would dream in shots. Like my, 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 um, dreams would look like movies. Like they would look like I was watching a movie. And in some ways I was directing my dreams. In some ways I was like writing my dreams, acting them. It was weird because in your mind so focused on something, your, your subconscious starts to kind of do it. Right. And so, uh, I learned a lot just from doing that. And, and that's, you know, and, and they say like, uh, I've heard someone else say, don't read screenwriting books, read scripts. And I think right. that's really true. I mean, read a lot of scripts and then start reading screenwriting books, mm-hmm. but don't read screenwriting books and then read scripts. Cause you get all this theory, but you can't like, you can't put it into motion. You got to start writing and reading stuff that's been written to kind of have that practical awareness yeah. to put the theory onto. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's how I'd I wrap, like that. That's how I'd wrap this all up because I think what we need to do is in, in finding this balance is we need to start like stop trying to know everything, go and do some stuff, mess it up, you know, fumble around, try it out, get some practical real world experience. Then, then start going to these master teachers, you know, because I just, I think it just gives so much context to it. Yeah. It gives context. Cause I think you could read the best screenwriting book in the world, but if you've never written or read anything, that's a screenplay, it's kind of like, you're not going to get the value out of it. Yeah. 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 Completely. I want to just, there was one thing, like, as you were talking, like I was, I, I had this sort of new appreciation for actually what industry does and, and in terms of the value that it brings. I'm like, you know, the industry is entirely focused on the audience. Yeah. And that's a fantastic thing. Yeah. That's a really fantastic thing. Sometimes they screw it up. Yeah you know, and sometimes audiences don't always necessarily know what they want, but sometimes what audiences want is something new, you know, but like if, if you constantly just like follow like the trends, and I think this is where the industry falls into trouble. It's like you, you, it would just get caught in an endless loop, (laughs) you know, of the, of the same exact shit over and over and over again. And sometimes, yes, there are times when stuff gets accused of doing that. Yeah. Um, and, and fair, fair, fair play. But 
I'm not going to knock an industry that is just focused on audience. That's just like, what is the audience want? What do people, what are people looking for? What is our world looking for? Mm-hmm. Right. And how can we deliver something that they want while also at the same time giving them something really great and new and, and fresh. And I think that, uh, I'm just going to leave it at that with my own sort of like epiphany on all of this. It's great man. for myself. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's really important for people to hear because I think there's a lot of artists that kind of knock the industry, but you know, that's really what industry is trying to do. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then artistry, I think is what it's taking that and going, you know, how do we, how do we stop offering the same thing that we've always offered and, 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 uh, maybe create something the audience doesn't even know they want yet. Yeah. Completely. All right. Let's give a slice. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.